What's up? Welcome back to Guitar Blah Blah, the daily podcast for people that just can't shut up about guitar. And be sure to follow Axes and Blades online at Instagram, Facebook, and axesandblades.com for even more guitar content. Um, I have been writing a series of articles for quite a while now that goes into uh, a whole deep dive on a particular part of guitar history. Um, and I've had a lot of this stuff swimming around in my head for a long time. Really interesting, really important, in-depth stuff. Uh, I've been working on one lately that has kind of opened up and expanded into even more parts of guitar history. So I have a lot of that swimming around in my head right now. And I'm probably going to have to fight against the urge to just throw out random bits of history and kind of sway back and forth between all these different interesting threads and strands of things in Guitar World and blab on about it. But I don't want to do that because soon enough when the article I'm talking about comes out, I'm going to point you towards that. And that does a better job in a structured way of presenting stuff to you. And, you know, I'll talk about it on here and I'll bring out bring, bring up some stuff kind of linked to that and hopefully get you guys interested in the kind of stuff that I've been looking into and having the the pleasure and the opportunity to write about rather than just blab on about a whole bunch of that right now which I could do for an enormous amount of time not necessarily in an informative or coherent way I think I got all the energy of that into hopefully the writing but that's completely left me now my head's just swimming with this that and the other one of the conclusions I came to in this article I was writing though is what I want to focus on today and I can relate it to a couple of things. I can give a couple of examples, but really this is the point that I want to leave you guys with because it's a much broader point. And I get into the specifics and the nitty-gritty and the telling stories that are absolutely fascinating. I, I do I do all of that in these articles and this article I was writing. And I, I promise you, soon as this stuff's out, um, I'm going to point you towards a whole bunch of stuff that I've written as well as a whole bunch of other stuff that is super important that I've come across in this. And I'll probably do podcast after podcast, kind of getting into the nerding out of it. So if you like the guitar history thing, um, like I say, all the structure and everything I put into the the articles, but maybe I'll do something kind of a bit more free form on here just to kind of get into it. Maybe have some people on to talk about it. That would be great as well. Um, on that note in general, going to have some more people on the podcast. So that would be cool in that case as well. But what I want to do today is focus on is one of these points that I drew in the conclusion because it's a much more general wider point than the other points which which are more specific to the guitar history and the things I've been um, researching and looking at for these articles and it's a general point not just in guitar stuff although I do mean it in that way as well like it's general as in it relates to all things guitar but it's also just a general point for life and I don't think it's like an insightful or or mind-blowing thing to think about but it's just affected me and been interested to me because I came about it in such a natural way and through such a kind of process that was interesting to me that I thought it was worth sharing and, and obviously guitar podcasts so specifically I will share it in terms of how it relates to guitar land um this is what I, the, the point I came across what I've been looking at is without giving too much away to do with the guitar innovators and rather than players it's the gear innovators i've been looking at um i would love to write more and more also about the uh innovative players but i've been looking at 
the kind of most innovative, influential, impactful contributors to certain parts of guitar history. And in particular, I've been researching and writing about someone whose impact and depth and breadth of contributions was incredible. Uh, an incredible level of, of contributing across a great number of decades. Um, and yet their name is not a household name in certain ways. In doing this research, uh, with that already in my mind, as an enormous part of what the entire project was actually about, in fact, the core part of what this project has been about, with that already in my mind, it makes sense that the conclusion goes to where it's going to go. If you if you give me a minute to get there, um, as I'm doing that research and I got that in my mind, I was very 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 fortunate and had the great pleasure of speaking with a very big important figure in the guitar industry. I'm not going to tell you who that is. Um, I'm going to talk more about that, like I say, when this when this is kind of announced, and we can kind of go to more in depth because that's kind of an exciting thing just to drop in here. So I'll, you know, I'll leave it as a tease for now. But that's come more on that. Um, in future episodes of the podcast suffice to say it's someone whose name you will know whoever you are you will know you will know their name you go oh, i'm not really in the gear world that much you'll know their name you'll know who this is you're listening to a guitar podcast you absolutely know who this is um, and i was extremely fortunate to get to talk to them and it was a great pleasure and it was extremely insightful and one of the things that we got to talking about because i was kind of mentioning the the talking about the point of this project and mentioning this idea of kind of the overlooked contributors and kind of how that happens and I was already getting to kind of touch upon this idea like I say it's kind of in the core concept and obvious how it came through to the conclusion of who gets the greater recognition as time goes on there are so many factors. It's one of these things where you don't know how people are going to look back on you in the future. You don't it's it's kind of a lot of it is what happens in the future determines who in the past is considered to be influential and to have been impactful because it's what gets taken up. And when we look around and go, oh, it's 15 years later and we're still doing X or we're still influenced by Y, we look back to where that comes from and that then obviously gets determined as, yes, definitely, we thought that might be influential. It seemed to be right from the offset. Here we are 15 years later. We can say it is. It's hard in the moment, right? But looking back over time trying to figure out those things um i guess this is kind of the geeky guitar historian thing in the guitar sense and generally kind of a historian thing what makes that person remembered over that person and who else was forgotten i think it's something that a lot of us find fascinating because we learn history and i think one of the thoughts you eventually arrive at and i mean at any level like you're just at school and your teachers are talking about stuff there's a documentary on tv we all have vague or maybe if you're a history buff, like in-depth understandings of things, and you hear the same names over and over again, uh, the big figures, you know, depending on where you are in the world. And at some point, you eventually go, yeah, but there's got to be all these other people around them who are contributing, who are doing things. And, you know, if you get interested enough to step into it, you start to learn more about them, and you learn sort of in, in going in greater and greater depth about more and more and more people who are doing all these things and, and in general what more people were doing and you get a greater understanding of things the same is true of of, uh, of anything and it's true in guitar as well we have these big names and we have these names that by the merits of the work and the contribution should be household names should be as big and they're not 
And what contributes to that? What are some of the factors? There's a lot, but let's try and kind of untangle some of them. And talking with this this well-known, uh, very knowledgeable, very well-respected figure in the guitar world, um, instantly to them, the figure they had to point out to me, as an ex- another example of this, was Paul Bixby. Um, and they said, you know, you... You know, for anyone who hasn't read it, you've got to absolutely go and read the book, The Story of Paul Bixby, Father of the Modern Electric Solid Body Guitar. The story's in there. And again, this might be some of the stuff I nerd out about uh, on another point, but Paul Bixby's a great example because he's got the slight complication of the name Bixby is very well known, but it's related to the vibrato system. But as the title of that book suggests, and as this, this, um, this person I was lucky enough to talk to was telling me, Paul Bixby is arguably, yes, the father of the solid body electric guitar. Um, whilst Les Paul's The Log was made in 1941 with that kind of slab of 2x4 with the pickups mounted on it and the uh, kind of spare Epiphone wings stuck to the side or whatever. Um, you know, um, that was something that there was then taken to Gibson. They didn't like it. They rejected it. Um, and it, you know, didn't really have any of the trappings. It's a very weird looking thing. You've never seen the log, not going to be something that is considered related really in a lot of ways. It's a stepping stone thing. It's an experiment, but does that relate to solid body guitar that musicians wanted to play and take out there? But Bixby did build one of those in, uh, 1947 from uh, Travis. Um, he did do that. Arguably, um, uh, as that book I just mentioned will tell you as well, the story of him doing that before, which actually came from the fact that Leo Fender and Les Paul and Paul Bixby were apparently all drinking buddies. They would hang out, they would drink together, they would talk about things and the idea of a solid body electric guitar for that same purpose that Les Paul experimented with the log, the idea of defeating the kind of feedback problems of the hollow body guitars uh came from them oh yeah was in there in the room when they were all sitting around drinking and um paul bixby wanted to take on the challenge uh you know sketched out a prototype and went ahead to build it but then uh you know his the famous solid body model when he was uh when he met mo travis over there love of motorbikes and you know he said yeah i can do this for you and they, mo travis had the idea of this solid body electric guitar and Paul Bixby could do it. And when you see it, it's fascinating because it's basically got the, you know, this is 47, bear in mind. Um, so you're seven years before the strap. Um, you're a good five years before the Les Paul. And um, you're also a good three years before the broadcaster slash nocaster slash telecaster. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because it's basically kind of got a single cut Les Paul like body with a headstock that's basically a strat that's clearly the influence for Leo Fender's strat headstock. Um, fascinating, right? Um, I said I wasn't going to deep dive into history and I'm not going to. We can talk all about Paul Bixby another time and how he deserves to be more recognized. Um, but I wanted to just put that story in there because looking at this looking at all the writing i was doing these are the kinds of things i was looking at even that story in itself les paul is a household name and it's pretty easy to point to why and to go through the story of les paul again we can go deep diving on that on another episode but if you were to go back in time and this is the difficulty of unpicking some of these things if you were to go back in time to 1941 and early 1940s and watch les paul having built the log experiment take it to gibson and then being like 
no, <laughs> uh, we're not interested in that. Um, if you were alive at that time, you didn't know the future. You just see that as a as a kind of quirky experiment and as a failure, and it's been deemed a failure. And uh, we'd all love to think that we would have the foresight to see that, no, he was right. And if I was there, I'd have told him to keep building prototype solid body guitars because that's the future. But we probably wouldn't have. The the most knowledgeable people in the industry didn't um, didn't know. And no one else around knew at the time. Um, it's only with the way that story changes that Les Paul becomes, obviously, a household name. Um, but looking at all of this, it was the idea of... If Paul Bigsby does that, does what he does, and again, without going into too much of a deep dive specifically on him or specifically on anyone, why is it that, you know, yes, he gets to be kind of a household name in, in Guitarland because his name's prominently displayed on that, uh, on on the, the system that bears his name, which is fitted to so many guitars, and that's there. But really, like the title of this book again says, Father of the Solid Body Electric Guitar, if that's him, surely he should be far more known. He should be up there with Leo Fender, with Les Paul. Um, and this happens all the time throughout guitar history. But there's some really prominent examples of people not being prominent enough, if that makes any sense. You're Paul Bixby's, and that's why there's the whole book that proclaims it on the front cover. Of, Here's what you should really know about Paul Bixby. And there are other examples of that as well so this is what it got me thinking about it got me thinking about this idea of why why do some become prominent and others not um when you don't have the simple answer well that person's idea wasn't successful and that person's was because as you see comparing the stories of les paul with paul bixby you can't simply say well that person was first that person was second you can't simply say well that person was a successful person that person wasn't um you know, Paul Bixby was swamped with orders for his guitars. There was a waiting list of, you know, over two years, it was believed, um, on his guitars. And it kept growing and growing and growing on people wanting him to custom build guitars for them. And he built many custom uh, guitars for the most prominent musicians of the day, including some solid bodies going forward as well from that Merle Travis example. And of course, that was clearly influential in the production solid body guitars that came out of Fender. The ones bearing Les Paul's name. Like I say, they're all three of them friends, shared ideas and things. And clearly it was, even though not the commercial birth, the birth of the solid body electric guitar in many ways. Now, the interesting thing about this is obviously one thing we can go off on a tangent immediately and say, well, maybe there are people who did it whose name we don't know. Absolutely, there could be. There are people probably doing things all the time who create ideas only three people that their friends in their neighborhood know about it ever. No one else knows about it. And the name gets lost to history. And so they don't even get remembered as the person who did it, but we forget about it. They just they just don't get known at all. That, of course, can possibly happen. There's a certain extent to which it's about who shouts loud enough. And that's really where I came to this interesting conclusion. There are many things to unpick, but there's a couple of big things that relate to how someone becomes known as one of the prominent names as a pioneer in guitar gear and how someone should be because of their contributions is still known and well-known in certain circles because of how big those contributions are. You can't ignore them. Uh, they, they don't get so well-known. And part of it is shouting the loudest. I think that's part of it. 
how much people are mythologized by others and also sometimes mythologize themselves. There are some examples of that in the guitar world. Um, but also simply shout about it in a marketing sense. And that links to my second point. It's also very much how business-focused people these people are. Um, it's often a big part of the way that it works in guitar world that, and in business world in general that you have this prominent figure, this attractive figure, this person who people can relate to and relate to the brand through, whether their name is on a headstock or not. And of course, the simple superficial fact of someone having their name on a headstock or on the front of an amplifier massively contributes to how well we remember their name. If it's a big pioneering step in guitar world that they do, if they put their name across the top of it or the front of it, that of course has a big, big difference. However, the Bigsby guitars say Bigsby on the top. So that's not all of it, right? The difference between some of the people that get remembered and some of the people who don't is how interested they are in simply mass manufacturing and growing the business in a business-focused way. If people care about keeping things small in order to have a greater control over quality, there's a sense in which they can then still become sort of mythologized by others. You know, the reclusive person in the workshop that only builds a six of these things a year, each handmade, one at a time, each one unique and different. There are those people and they can become kind of mythologized. Like I say, I account for that in my conclusion because mythologization from others or from themselves is part of it, is part of what can do that. Whether it's an arrogant figure kind of mythologizing that thing themselves or whether that's just how they prefer to work and they are kind of a recluse and they're not shouting from the rooftops at all but other people shout from the rooftops about them. Maybe go on a podcast, tell a story about them, write a book about them. That can happen. Interesting. But definitely one of the key factors is also, like I say, there's two of them. They come in a tandem. The other one is definitely how business-focused they are, which doesn't reflect on how important their work was. It doesn't reflect on how innovative it was. It doesn't reflect on how completely genius some of these things were that people were doing. A lot of this, especially from, let's now focus in specifically to that 40s and into the 50s, the birth of kind of everything that, that, that was the foundation of the electric guitar. If someone was more interested in manufacturing and someone was more interested in business which often meant putting a single figure out there at the front even if you know team works on it there were much bunch of contributions uh, you know the wish list of what made up the fender stratocaster was was not just leo fender pulling that kind of out of thin air or out of it himself um there's there's several notable names involved in that you know the, the wish list of ideas kind of came from um the the uh, guitarist Bill Carson and that combined you know with then Leo Fender and George Fullerton and Freddie Tavares and 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 you know that that's all of them together was kind of the the melting pot of all their ideas and things was what made up the strats so you know sometimes it's because hey we remember Leo Fender because we always do that in life we like a single figure we like to say that we want to no voting elections on ideas but so much of it comes down to the single figure in the person even though there's an entire personal team behind everything that comes out of their mouth as well as the entire teams upon teams of people in their political party or whatever we like it to be a single figure um you know w when we 
think about a film that we love. Look how long the credits are, but we love to refer to it as, you know, oh, a Kubrick film or like whatever, you know. Um, it doesn't even need to be like an artsy thing. It's just like we love to refer to that as a film by its personal. Two or three people, It's we love to refer to it as, you know, it's Mark Wahlberg, it's this, it's that. It's the lead person in it or uh, the writer and director was the same person. Great, we'll refer to it as one of their films. It's an entire team. And, you know, obviously the team do a whole bunch of things but even if you want to look at like the top level of who's making the decisions uh you know in filmmaking these things are decided by committee often with the director at the head but if you ever watch behind the scenes stuff and these things even the top level decisions you're still looking at like 12 people not one or two we love to have one or two we love a protagonist that's the stories that we tell we know there's lots of characters we know there's lots of people we know there's a huge amount that goes into making each scene what it is but we want a person and we do that with guitar stuff too so Sometimes that's the case, and that's another factor of how we create stories, including history, including, you know, non-fictional stories. That's kind of how we tell them and how we like to remember them. So even if we revere the Strat, and of course the Strat's as big a household name, perhaps the most iconic guitar ever, you go to anyone who doesn't know anything about guitars and they still recognize the Strat, you know what I mean? Uh it's one person's name even with even with something that big and that well revered rather than everyone going oh i love the strap what a genius design element by you know and then listing you know five people six people you, you say one and it's of course like i say the guy's name on the headstock but also the guy who was always presented by that company in a marketing way in a business way is this is the guy. This is our our, our our genius, our interesting figure. And that's a very um, conscious thing as well, by the way. Um, if Like if you kind of like business management and stuff and like business books and entrepreneurial stuff talks about like, I think it's called the attractive character is often what it's referred to. That's a that's a thing that's a staple of, of business and marketing is, is having a person there. And that's come partly is why people put people's names on things and do endorsements it's not just to get the reach of their fans it's it's also the idea of um you know you do it with people who don't have fans as well it's it's the idea of people find it easier to attract to a person to that name um and that's a more exciting and more emotionally investing and um creates a kind of bond in a way um in different ways than being like you know the new x product from x corporation there's obviously lots of examples of presenting things like that and there's good reasons you do that instead but in the world of guitars and inventions and gear and the kind of business that that is the business focus people will often put a single figure out there it's kind of attractive character and that lends itself to mythologizing and some of that's done after the fact it wasn't necessarily a business move it was kind of done after the fact um you know the business naming your business after your name was it is still obviously very common it was especially common then and some of the that mythologizing and that kind of making concrete happens after the fact but some of it's very deliberate so that, that can be a part of it for sure so that got me interested in that in that side of things but a lot of it comes down to not the impact of the work not how important the work was um obviously some of it's how important the work a lot of it's how important the work became but in terms of in the moment how impactful how kind of brave full of risk breaking new ground ingenious innovative were those ideas not a great way to measure how you're going to figure out which person will be the most remembered which person won't which person will become the household name which one not 
ones who become the household name, it's very rare that they've not done something interesting, for sure, that gets people's attention, for sure. That can happen, but it's kind of rare. But what, but what isn't so rare is that someone does something absolutely worthy of being equally remembered, and they're not. And whilst there are all these other little factors I'm kind of hinting at, a big part of it are those two things, you know, how mythologized they are by others or deliberately kind of shout from the rooftops and be loud about it and mythologize themselves a bit. Um, which I, which, you know, I definitely feel was something I relate more to some people who came later rather than in the kind of 40s and 50s um, to some extent. And two, this idea of how focused they were on mass manufacturing of building a business and growing and growing and growing, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, I often think about it as it's it's just, you know, when you see someone who's like super wealthy, let's say like an artist, right? Is a great one. We'll stick with guitar because it's a guitar podcast. You got an artist, right? You got a musician and they're like super stupid wealthy. I don't mean like their band's successful. I mean like they are stupidly, stupidly wealthy. Now it can happen. Again, it's it's a big world. There's a lot of people in it billions upon billions of people, all these different things. It can absolutely happen that people can accidentally end up in situations or can by chance end up in situations. But I just don't feel like you get something that's, you know, it's so competitive, so many, the level so many people want to get to and end up at a level where you, for example, are insanely famous or insanely wealthy. I don't believe that there's many times in the way the world works that that will happen and you completely didn't mean it in the slightest. You know what I mean? Is there the odd person or has there ever been someone who was just didn't care if they were rich or poor, just doing their thing and ended up rich? Yeah, I think it can happen. Does that happen a lot? No. Is that the majority? No. Is that even a significant amount of it? No, I don't think so. I'm not bad mouthing anyone. I'm not casting aspersions or making judgments, but I, I, I think that if you end up in a position where you are incredibly prominent and wealthy you have to have on a day-by-day basis have made decisions that didn't by accident lead to that i think that you've made decisions which have led to that and that's not a bad thing i'm not saying you were like just you were focused on money you didn't care about the music that's not that's an extreme this is a spectrum that would be at the other extreme i don't think there's i'm not cynical enough to say there's too many people who are super like that either um but I think it's naive to go to the other end of the spectrum and believe when you got like some crazy, insanely famous musician who goes, yeah, it was just, I just made the music I love and I didn't care whether I ended up successful or not. And they're like the most successful musician in the world that they didn't have an eye on in getting somewhere in their career. That's not evil. Again, not going to the extreme of they had to have been all about the money. No, they they might have cared very little about it, but they cared enough to make certain decisions. And it's not evil to, for a musician to go, I want to focus on my career. It's not evil for a musician to go, I want to reach a bigger audience with my music. That's what I mean. They had to have cared to some extent. It could have been greed. It could have been arrogance. It could have been self-mythologizing. It could have been all these things. Or it could have been a really nice, still humbled sense of, I really want to get my music to more people. I want to achieve more as an artist. And that includes getting to the next level. And to get to the next level, I need to have more of a draw of an audience. So I need to focus on that. That's not necessarily evil, is it? So, but I do not believe that the the amount of people who are at a crazy high level, and it's not just guitar, it's anything, you know, someone who's incredibly 
wealthy and from business perhaps who goes well i just did what i what i liked and i didn't focus on anything else and i just ended up here i just i am just not naive enough to believe that and i don't know why they need to say it it's not like that makes me more concerned about their character because if they just said well i had to make choices based upon you know getting to the next level that's not evil or wrong um so there's some kind of front there and that makes me believe that they probably were actually greedier and that's what they're hiding i don't know i don't know or maybe it's just a publicist thing i don't know where you're told not taught like that i don't know maybe it just when you're at that level you're kind of in a bind because maybe when you're at a really high level it comes off as nasty and arrogant whatever you say if you if you say anything except i'm all in it for the music if you say well you know we were focused on trying to you know grow our audience maybe then people see you as a sellout maybe maybe you're in a bind in that position i don't know how they talk about it i'm not in people's heads but the point here that's relevant to this conclusion i've drawn which i'm rambling on about is that i don't believe that in the majority of cases it's accidental when um someone becomes prominent at least in their own time in terms of history it's a bit more difficult because a lot of that can be done after the fact like i say that person does something like you know the the first run of les balls the gold tops in 52 and stuff like that they weren't very popular they weren't very popular at all and the history of the les ball and then morphing into what became known as the sg that's all very weird and fascinating throughout the 50s it's weird and it's not like the les ball came out it was insane it's been the same since that's the broadcaster slash no caster slash telecaster um that's the story of that that's the story of the strat came out great it's 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 still super popular maybe some people thought it looked kind of weird maybe it was a bit transitional but basically it came out everyone loved it changed the game still still everyone loves it <laughs> you know never been out of production not the case with 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 the with you know the les paul series at all so you know a lot of that's history wise if so i i think it's hard to look back and say that person was tr- trying to be prominent but on that lower level when you look at what made someone prominent and what didn't and one of the key factors in a lot of cases is is the business sense that's kind of the equivalent you know if you were into growing the business if you're into mass manufacturing that had to that that was such a key part of most of these people becoming prominent who became the prominent people throughout kind of guitar history and i think that's key because that's that focus they didn't accidentally become prominent they became prominent not necessarily because they like wanted to have statues built of them you know um you know i don't think that's nece- that's 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 really what i'm saying um it could have been and i think that would have helped them to become prominent again that's the self mythologizing but that's the second part of this the first part of this which i think can be enough on its own and definitely was for a lot of these guys is about being business focused and wanting to grow and grow and grow and grow and that is what cemented a lot of their place was being business minded and manufacturing minded is what solidified their place because one of the parts of that is reach if you're mass manufacturing you're creating more which means you need to sell more, which means you need to shout more, which means you need to grow your reach. And so it doesn't need to be based on arrogant self-mythologizing or a greed, but just based on the basics of we're going to make this a business. I think a lot of the guys in guitar history who, like Paul Bigsby and like other guys who I'm going to talk about more in this podcast and in these articles coming up, which you're going to hear a lot more about, it is about 
they were not the guys who were into mass manufacturing. Their inventions, their innovations, equally as important, equally as impressive, equally as groundbreaking. If not in some cases, more so. If not in some cases, beating these people to the punch. The Paul Bigsby guitar coming before any mass production of models from Fender. That is something that is fascinating to me. And where it leaves me, and the reason I really wanted to talk about this, and I've, like I've said, I'm having to fight the urge to spiral off into just stories and bits of history, which I'm failing at miserably as this podcast goes over half an hour. What I'm wanting to talk about this for today, rather than just have left it for when I kind of deep dive into this a bit more in future episodes, is this point. How does that make us think about today? Like I say, we think we're good at picking these people out. We're not. In the moment in time we're at, not only can we not see who will be seen as prominent in the future because we don't know how we'll look at things in the future, but also because we don't know what will grow to be prominent, what will take a prominence, not just now in the present, but will have the longevity of that prominence to be then defined as essential, important, uh, vital element of the foundation of whatever genre will spiral out of it or whatever innovative element of gear will come out of it. Because we don't, not only do we not have that, we're just terrible at spawning it in the moment because we kind of base it in, in the moment on, well, a bit of a misconception. We think we're picking out the people purely based upon whose inventions were the most iconic, the most groundbreaking. But clearly, that's not the case. Clearly, it's these a lot of these other factors have a huge amount of importance. Like I said, particularly those two that really stand out to me. How much are they mythologized, either by others or by themselves? How much were they focused on being bigger, shouting louder, mass manufacturing, growing their reach, these sorts of things? Those things are massively important, and we're not good at spotting them. But let's say we do recognize that as something that we can get taught by guitar history. How does that make us view today differently? If you have an idea in your head of who are the pioneers today in terms of gear, maybe this also applies to playing as well. I haven't applied it in that way. Maybe it applies to players. I don't know. Like I say, something I'd like to explore more. But let's just stick with gear for now because that's what I definitely feel this is. this works for. Maybe we have an idea now, maybe you have an idea now of who the pioneers are for today, who you think the the the, the guys who are going to have their names remembered, that, you know, or, or companies or brands or whatever who are going to stick out in this generation when we look back on it. Um, it's obviously different. It's not necessarily good to draw comparisons with the electric guitar, solid body electric guitar in the 40s and 50s because that's the birth of it and comparing an age of progressing like you know the 80s or now to that can feel a bit odd because it's not the inventing of things it's not the experimentation of breaching the totally new ground in that way but maybe that works maybe that doesn't that's a whole nother topic can we really compare the how the guitar world is now or how it was in the 80s or 90s to you know when it was being invented in the 50s is that such a different type of moment in in the history of something that that comparison becomes really too fraught and messy i don't know but even without making the comparison just the basic idea who will stick out as the pioneers who will stick out as these guys who 
did these essential things who gear nerds will talk about in the future in the same way that I'm chatting about all of this right now. And who do we think are the ones who are underrated? So who will be the Les Pauls and the Leo Fenders? Who will be the kind of Paul Bixby's as the example I'm using today? And we think we know, right? But maybe by applying some of these things that I've gathered as ideas from the past, I'm thinking about reevaluating that. And I'm thinking about, well, maybe we get taken in by the same thing in the present. Um, you know, it's presents so that we have to go on. We don't, we, our predictions about the future are bad, but we're still probably largely looking at, in the present moment, the things that come to us the most, as in those two things are going to have a big impact. Who's shouting the loudest and self-mythologizing and who's focused on growing, who's focused on business, who's focused on marketing. That's what's going to get in our way. That's what's going to get in our minds. That's that's who we talk about the most. Those are the guitar companies who we praise the most and find the most interesting. Is that going to be what influences us? And maybe we could look at the 80s and the 90s as well so that we have a little bit of hindsight and do the same thing. Are the people who've, whose names are kind of, as those decades recede a bit further into the past, as we go a bit further on, and you start, start to sift a bit more, you know, the names become fewer and fewer. Like I say, as we tell this, the stories of something, as it becomes a story rather than just interacting with the world, and we start to tell it as a story or a series of stories, we want protagonists. And that means the number of kind of characters in there get sifted out. Or not sifted out, but the, there's certain ones we pick out to tell the story with. And instead of 10 or 12 figures all on an equal standing, equal standing, there's those three from the 80s or from the 90s. And it's those three who just stand up more and more and more as the others become side characters. Are we going to, you know, do the same thing whereby instead of judging on the merits of what the people did, what stays as prominent as either is either those who have been mythologized by others or kind of mythologized themselves or those who were so business focused that it was about growth and about marketing and getting in our phases. That's just what I want to leave us with. As we start to judge the decades of kind of things like the 80s and 90s, are we applying the wrong criteria? Or not the wrong, that's it's too hard a word, but are we applying that same criteria, which means that we're going to miss Paul Bigsby in the same way that we have? We're going to have, a, have to have a book again written about the true father of this or that or the other, because we end up kind of missing really a lot of the key figures in our kind of sifting. As two or three characters emerge in the stories, how many are there who were really just as big a characters? And those in the 80s will know that and always know that. How many of the rest of us are going to come along and not quite get that story right? And then with the current moment right now, how much are we already kind of getting that story wrong? We're going to get it wrong to some extent. We're not we haven't even had as much time between the 80s and the 90s as now to properly make those judgments. Of course, right now, we definitely don't have the hindsight and the space to make those judgments. So it's going to be wrong to some extent. Don't worry about it. But how much are we, and again, wrong's too strong, but how much are we kind of getting the story modeled, the story a little bit inaccurate, the story a little bit fuzzied, even right now in the current moment, because the criteria is kind of clouded by who's shouting at us the loudest and who's getting mythologized the loudest and the most constantly. And in today's world, you know, a lot of that will be social media. Who's big on social media and who gives us the presence and the idea of these are the game changers? And are they? Let's try and maybe think about 
if we can manage that it's impossible but you know strive for the impossible like striving for perfection like the great innovators do even if you don't get it you strive each time and that means you've always produced the best maybe in the same way we can think about when we're telling these stories we could we know we can't see who will really be the prominent figures as history looks back but can we look now and try to apply a better criteria can we strive to do it to make sure we're not letting the story get fuzzied and messed up and can we look today and go well put aside who's the loudest who's always on my feed who's always getting articles written about them ironic because it's the basis of why i'm talking about this but instead of going on that let's look at the content of the things on my feed let's look at the content of the things in these articles and let's look at the merit of their work that's expressed within that and see who to you because it's also to you it's also a personal thing a lot of this who to you is the innovator on that criteria who to you is today doing important work in this field in this area in this weird nerdy world we exist in who to you is doing it on that is it the person with the biggest youtube channel and all that stuff it could be that's the thing it's not about no the small the best people always get overlooked it's not about that it's too complicated for that sometimes those guys like i say are mythologized so much afterwards because they had such a big impact um sometimes the the best guys mean it means they have the best ideas that's picked up on by people who invest in their business it grows the business it gets mythologized it works it works out there's no it goes one way or it goes the other that's why it's kind of complicated and fascinating to me but maybe just ask the question I'm always thinking about this person or this person as the big, most important figures in kind of gear and everything today. Is it? So whilst it's hard to talk about will it be, I don't know, uh, will it be viewed as the most important? Will they be viewed as the most important? Maybe we can ask right now, are they the most important to me? Is their work having a big impact as I see it right now? Is it doing something innovative even without being able to see impact clearly is it doing something innovative does it strike me as doing something brave or groundbreaking anew or are they just shouting the loudest about it or are others shouting about them the loudest or are they really just in front of my eyes the most because that's part of how they operate is there someone who is doing something in a quieter way but which is actually really much bigger or is it that this person who does have this bigger commercial instinct, actually still also doing the most innovative work. Interesting to think about. That's what got me interested. You can tell as I've blabbed on nearly endlessly about this, that this is all in my mind and I'm finding it very interesting. And it goes beyond guitars. It's just interesting to think about those threads of history and and, and what makes those decisions of who becomes prominent and who doesn't and which stories get told and which don't is something that's obviously like a core interest in history storytelling anything really as the study of anything and i think it's fascinating to me always to find the kind of second layer factors the ones that are not the direct ones like well that person had a great idea and was super successful so we will talk about them makes sense but to look at the ones of stories where we talk about people and it doesn't make sense stories where we don't talk about other people doesn't make sense what are these underlying factors and are there any patterns and and yeah you know just basic kind of uh, nerding out on guitar history stuff but 
I find it fascinating, and I'm fascinated by this idea of, uh, you know, someone's name gets talked more about than other people's, and the real stories that are within that, and, you know, uh, getting to talk, like I said, with someone very prominent who kind of told those stories, and then the the Paul Bigsby book about him being the father of the modern solid body electric guitar, those stories then coming out, I just find that super fascinating about the stories within the stories, um, as well as the personal little threads about their, you know, Leo Fender and Paul Bigsby and as Paul being drinking buddies, um, you know, stories like that. There was also a story I heard about, um, believe it was Paul Bigsby used to um, like go over to the, like a, you know, was it like the, Cadillac factory or something one of the American car manufacturers used to go there every single year and buy the new model when it came out and drive it back like drive it back and drive through Nashville and stuff and drive it back over to California um I can't remember uh which factory it was whether it was a Cadillac or whatever but you know the the big fancy cars um whichever one it was I'm sorry I'm 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 blanking on it right at this moment but um you know I love the stories like that it's fascinating and um getting into the nitty-gritty of it like i say but then seeing these patterns i think it's cool i think it's something to think about who are the innovators of today in guitar world with that in mind with kind of trying to shake off the automatic criteria of basically who's shouting the loudest and who has the most commercial and marketing instincts and instead going to who for me personally or for me and people in my genre and in my community, who's impacting the most? Who's kind of being brave with their ideas? Who's breaking the new ground? Who's going into new areas? Who's solving the problems that musicians have or innovating for the musicians? And if you go by that criteria, whether it's the past and probably, I guess, as well in the present, you're going to end up with the people who genuinely had the impact. And uh, that's fascinating. So, Anyway, that is more than enough freaking guitar nerding out. Let's finish with a suggestion of some music. Nothing to do with the topic of conversation, but I've just been enjoying some very chill music recently from Lake Michigan. No, not like from Lake, not like there's an artist on a boat out there and we should help them. I don't mean that. Uh, That's the name of the artist, Lake Michigan. Um, I believe the guy's actually called Christopher Marks, um, hails from the UK um and in particular i've been enjoying the record stillness by lake michigan some interesting cool weird folksy elements in there but uh you know um really it's the kind of lo-fi ambient including guitar layers in there that especially with headphones on i've been finding really mesmeric and uh relaxing at the moment at the start of a year which is kind of as busy and as stupid as crazy as the last one or maybe more so um so yeah i've been enjoying this i've been trying to suggest some relaxing music amongst the kind of heaviest stuff and the loudest stuff and the craziest stuff lately so here's another one stillness by lake michigan as always the link to that is in the description of this podcast i'm gonna go and try and shut up now i'll bottle it in for another another rambling episode um like i say i'm excited to talk more about this stuff if you couldn't tell but that's all on my mind i blabbed it at you i'm sorry if you had to sit through all that but well you didn't have to no one, I, I hope no one made you um blink twice if they did i can't help you it's a podcast i can't see anybody but anyway even if it was a video i couldn't see you you could see me that's how video works um just in case you didn't know you learn all sorts of things on this podcast huh anyway 
Um, clearly I've talked for far too long, so now I'm going to go shut up. Go play a bunch of guitar. Don't listen to a bunch of stupid guitar podcasts. What a waste of time. Go play guitar. Go check out that music I suggested. Go check out a bunch of music you prefer anyway because you don't like the music I suggest. Do whatever you want. Have a good one. Look after yourselves. Look after one another. And uh, I'll probably still be endlessly talking by the time you hear another one from me uh, uh, tomorrow. So, yeah, as always, you'll hear from me again tomorrow.